When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey there, and welcome to Speakernomics, the podcast about becoming a better speaker and building a better business. I'm your host, Tom Singer, and I might be the most fortunate person in the entire speaking business because I get to host this podcast, which means I get to interview really cool people who are making a difference and having success as a professional speaker. And so today, we are going to talk about how to go beyond just being a speaker and how to create a training and consulting business. And our guest is Anton Gunn. Hey, Anton, welcome to Speaker Not. Happy to be here with you. So excited about the opportunity. Well, what are your two tips for speakers about creating a consulting and a training arm to their business? Great. For consulting, tip number one is to build an an assessment for your clients. Create an assessment for your clients. Tip number two, for your training business, turn your keynote into a curriculum. Well, this is going to be fun because this is things that many of us had to explore over the last 18 months. And I know that you did a really good job of making that. I know we hate to say the word making that pivot. And I think we have a lot to learn from you today. So we're going to unpack those tips and talk about a lot more. But for those of you who don't know Anton Gunn, and I don't know how you couldn't know him because he's a great speaker and an all around nice guy. But what he does is he helps leaders in organizations build world-class workplace culture, and he helps cultivate those leaders so they become great leaders that everyone will admire. So Anton, how did you get into the leadership training game in the first place? Um, So I've actually been speaking um, since I was 17 years old uh, as a high school football player um, that made captain. My mom asked me to come and talk to her fifth grade students, and I failed miserably at it because the kids didn't pay me any attention. I told my mom I wanted a do-over, and she says, can you come back next week? I came back next week, and I wore my football jersey. I brought my helmet and my shoulder pads, and I captivated this group of fifth graders. And my point was, is that if you can keep the attention of a group of fifth graders, then you can speak to any group of adults. And from that time going forward, I always found myself speaking to a group about some topic. And it was my journey through college football and my journey in public service. I'm a former elected official. I also worked for President Barack Obama for about three and a half years is where I really saw that leadership is everything. It's actually the separator in most organizations. If you got great leadership, you'll have great things happen. If you got bad leadership, I've never seen an organization outgrow its leader. And so it became the passion of my life to make sure that leaders 
are, are doing good things with the people that they lead for a good reason and having an impact in the world. And that's my short story. So working for Barack Obama must have been pretty cool. Yes, it was the most inspiring, empowering and also the most exhausting work I've ever done in my entire life. Um, it was it was just a, a, a privilege of a lifetime. Man. I come from a family of of military men. So four generations of men in my family served in the military. So they all put on a uniform to serve. But the only uniform I ever put on was a football uniform. And so when I got the opportunity uh, to serve, um, I felt it was a part of my duty and as a part of my family heritage to, to be involved in public service. So as you came out of that and, and, and you moved into being a professional speaker, were you mainly doing keynotes? What was your business like before a couple of years back where you had to make this pivot? Yeah. So the, so the funny thing is uh, when I was working for President Obama, a part of my job was to actually go give speeches around health care reform, health care policy. So I did 900 events in about four years for the Obama administration, all for free because it was a part of my job. And then when I left the administration, I continued to talk about how to take advantage of the opportunities in healthcare reforms and what hospitals should be doing to make a difference. And so it's just been a, a great business for me. I'm very prolific, dynamic and entertaining is what I would like to say I am as a speaker. You're gonna laugh, you're gonna cry, you might dance a little bit and you're definitely going to hear some hip hop music on, on stage with me. <laughs> and that was who I was. Right. And then the pandemic hit and I had to grow it in another way. So what's interesting is, is that we talk to people and many people who listen to the show still are trying to figure out how to become a speaker or their early, early speakers. Giving 900 presentations in four years is a great way to become very seasoned as a speaker. So that that sort of fast forwarded you along. So you 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 get out of that, you become a professional speaker, you're speaking in healthcare, you're doing these things, you make this pivot to talking in leadership, and then the pandemic hits. And like mm -hmm. so many of us who had most of our business focused on uh, the keynote side, the speaking side mm -hmm. of our industry, mm -hmm. it probably pulled back to zero. I don't know if, if you were one of these people who had everything switched to virtual and everybody paid full fee, but that wasn't my experience. I had things postponed. I had things canceled. And when they wanted that uh, virtual thing, uh, they, they wanted to pay less. So what happened to you when the pandemic hit? So I, re I remember this like very vividly. My last keynote was on March the 4th of 2020. And I had an event on the 13th and an event uh, the next week on the 17th. They both canceled immediately and the world kind of shut down. And I had a client call me who was like, listen, we want you to come. But I didn't even have a, like a force majeure clause in my contract at the time. And so the client called and says, listen, can we add a force majeure clause? Because I don't know when this pandemic is going to end and you're not coming and we want our money back. And I really panicked at that point. That's really when I started to panic. How long could this go? So, yeah, it was very difficult for me the same way it was for everybody else. But I tell you the one thing where I really felt confident about is uh, I was already very comfortable with Zoom. I was already comfortable with uh, Facebook Live and uh, many of these virtual platforms. So I went to just adding value to my audience by doing Facebook Lives. I did Facebook Lives every Monday for six months starting in March. So March to September, I just did a live for an hour on Sunday night. And um, 
I started getting people saying, hey, you know, can you do this for our team? And my response was, sure, how much money you got? I didn't really care what they had. And if it was $100, I would take it. It didn't matter to me. I was just trying to keep the business coming in. And um, it was not the way to start, but I think we all kind of started with that. And ultimately, it started to go up a little bit more as people started to get comfortable with the technology. And of course I was investing in a great camera and a ring light that I'd never needed before. Cause I had a lamp light on my desk before. So <laughs> it was hard for all of us. And it definitely was a pivot for me, but I felt confident that I was adding value and that if I continue to add value, that people were going to find value and want value and would be willing to pay for value. Nice. So let's get into these tips that you have about then creating a consulting and a training yeah. business. So your first mm -hmm. tip was on the consulting side and it's, you've got to develop an assessment tool for your clients. So define yeah. what an assessment tool is because there's good ones and there's bad ones out there. And yeah. then uh, let us know why you think it's so important. I'm definitely not a, a PhD researcher on peer reviewed validated assessments at this point in my career. I've hired a few, but I'm not there. So here's where I started. My topic is really around how leaders build a world-class workplace culture. And so before every keynote speech, I would always do a questionnaire. And on that questionnaire, I would ask questions like, what's the number one challenge that your team is dealing with? What, what challenge are your employees having? Um, how would you describe your culture in one word? So I was asking questions that would give me information that I would then use to make my keynote tailored to that audience. But I started to think I could probably get some more objective data from my clients. So what I said to my client is that I want you to fill out the questionnaire but I also want to send you a survey that has 11 questions on it, and I need you to answer them. And it would be great if you could get the entire planning team or maybe a group of 10 employees to answer the question on the survey. And I literally went to SurveyMonkey, and I literally put together 10 questions. And the questions were stuff like, if you had to rate your culture on a scale from one to five, one being outstanding and five being the worst ever, how would you rate it? And it would give me a, a number. And then I had a second question is that was 10 words. If you had to describe your culture by 10 words, I just took 10 of the words from the questionnaire and I had fantastic. This place is like Disney. Oh, I love it. It's amazing. Or I wouldn't send my worst enemy to work here if I could. That's what I put at the bottom and I had them all answer it. And so literally Within, you know, roughly two or three clients, I had some data that told me what people thought about the culture in the organization. And I would literally follow it up. This keynote is going to be good to talk about some of your problems and give you one or two solutions to those problems. But what I'm seeing in your data, it's much more robust than that. And we should have a longer conversation around how I can help you take your culture from worse to world-class uh, or worrisome to world-class, just depending on how bad the data was. And that literally is how I started having subsequent conversations with my clients about maybe doing more training, long-form training, which is a quarterly coming back to your organization to do a two-hour workshop with a small group of leaders, or maybe having an executive team retreat with your CEO and your whole C-suite around their culture because that filtered down into the organization. 
And then I even have some organizations says, Anton, can we expand this survey that you did with these 10 people? And could you survey a thousand of our employees? And so literally I had to go work with the researcher at that point to build out a survey that had uh, a way that I could be delivering it to a thousand people and get that data back and then write them a report and then recommend a path forward. So literally that's how I turned the assessment into consulting. So I've been in the speaking business for full time for over almost 13 years. God, I was going to say 12 years, but another year has seemingly gone by. Here's the interesting thing. A lot of people have talked about, oh, you should have a consulting business or maybe you could do consulting. I don't think I've ever heard anyone in the industry describe so simple in such a simple manner how you can go from having a keynote to polling your question, polling your people to be able to gather data and then be able to go back to them and pitch the idea of doing ongoing training, consulting, et cetera. So are you always really good at identifying simple ways to do complex things? Yes. So actually, Tom, that was actually why Barack Obama asked me to come and serve in his administration, because I could take something as complicated as the Affordable Care Act with its <laughs> all 1000 pages and I could break it down to someone with a middle school education could understand or I could talk to a neuroscientist about how they would benefit from it. So you can call that my superpower or one of my gifts. I can really take complex things and make them very simple for people um, to, you know, as my friend Joe Madison would say, I can put it down where the goats can get it, which is down where they can nibble it out of your hands. And, and, and that's just what, what I've been able to do. And that's how I help clients to solve problems is to break it down to the simple stuff. So before we get to the second tip, I want to go a little deeper on this whole consulting thing. And, and maybe you'll need to be a little repetitive to say it, but I love people to walk away from this podcast with an actionable tip that they can go do right now. So if somebody is like, God, I've never I've never really thought about doing the consulting side of this. What can they do right now when they hit, you know, end after it's over? Don't stop listening in the middle of the podcast. Listen till the end. What can they do today to actually replicate some of what you did to start a consulting practice? Very easy. Um, you got to have a conversation with your clients about the subject in which you speak about and ask them questions around how this applies in their culture beyond your keynote. So again, come up with seven questions. I wouldn't even say do 10 or 11. Come up with seven questions related to your content that you can put on a Likert scale. One being excellent, five being terrible, a few descriptive words that explain it and ask your clients to when they fill out your pre-event questionnaire. And I hope everybody is doing a pre-event questionnaire if you're a speaker. If you're not, then you're missing how you can give more value to your clients by making sure your message matches to their needs at the present time. But come up with seven questions and get a, an account with SurveyMonkey and create a survey and start capturing data with every client that you do a keynote with. And then on your post event call, once you get off the phone with your client, talk to them about what you found in the data and say, you know, this keynote was good, but I really do think you need to keep the learning going or there's still some more work to be done. And I would love to talk to you about how I can help you to strategically make sure that my keynote is not just a one-time thing, but it's a lifetime transformation to your company or your business. God, that is so, so simple. I just took some notes of what I'm going to do as soon as we get off this interview, because I have an exact area of my business 
where I could poll a bunch of people, get this information and turn it in to exactly what you just described. And I don't think anyone's ever told it to me in a way that was so just basic and into an action item. So that was awesome, Anton. I can't wait till we get to tip number two, which is about having a training business. And tip number two was turn your keynote into curriculum. So I got an hour long keynote. It's really good. People clap. Maybe they stand up even when they clap. But is it really a full day or a two day training? How do I do that? Where do I start? Yeah, I'm going to give a shout out to a great NSA member, Hall of Fame speaker and someone that I admire greatly. And his name is Rory Vaden, Mm -hmm. uh, because Rory Vaden literally taught me uh, the context of how do you turn your keynote uh, into longer form content training, uh, full day, two day, three day, even a whole week worth of content. And it really is around how you structure what you give in a keynote to teach people how to do when you tell them the what. So your keynote is really telling people the what, you know, you need better teamwork. You need to be a greater team. You need to be more inspired. You need to build a world-class culture. You tell them the what they need to do, but the how is the curriculum. The how is the training. So if you, if I'm telling someone that they need to be a better leader, the first thing I'm going to tell them is that you need to become more likable. Well, how do I become more likable? So frame up one aspect of your keynote into how you can become a more likable person. You can smile more. You can give people smiling exercises. You can give people, you know, how to buy gifts for people. I mean, anything, how to tell jokes. These are all things that can be taught uh, in a longer than a one hour keynote. And so really it is, is turning your keynote into uh, bite-sized pieces of content. And I think we all probably have what Rory Vaden calls pillar points in our keynotes, which is what are the three takeaways that you want everybody to walk away with? So take your three takeaways and expand each one of them out into a two-hour workshop. So if takeaway number one is to care about the people that you lead, that's like takeaway number one in my keynote. So if I want to tell you to care about the people that you lead, well, then I got to teach you how to care about them. Well, you can't care about someone that you don't know. So now I'm going to teach you how to know the people that you lead. So know everybody's birthday, know everybody's favorite food, know everybody's dog's name, their spouse's name, their kid's name. So now I can spend a whole half day showing leaders how to care about the people that they lead. And that's just one training. So that's my my simple explanation is, is really breaking down everything that you talk about into bite-sized pieces and build it out into exercises and workshops and things that people can do in session. So one of the things I do about caring is that I teach leaders how to role play, how to have a small talk conversation where you can learn what's important to your people. And so my training might be me teaching content for about 20 or 30 minutes, but the other hour and a half may be the attendees role playing or uh, standing up in front of the room and doing uh, what I told them that they should be doing and then giving them feedback. And so it becomes experiential learning. And that's how you build out training programs that are sticky that people will remember because they learn by doing. You got to remember people learn by seeing touching and doing, so to speak. And so if you can give them something to write down, if you can show them something visually, but then also give them something to do, it's how they will hold on to the content long-term. 
So it's interesting because when, when you do training, there has to be a lot more interactivity. Now, obviously, as keynoters, we want to be interactive. We want to have some exercises. We want to engage people, get them to lean in and share. But when you only have 45 minutes, you know, it's hard to have people spend, you know, 20 minutes in at their table or with a partner going through and rehearsing and role playing and things like that. But when you have I recently did a nine hour training and this is not my background and uh, I've been certified on someone else's content. So I was doing training on someone else's content and I was kind of scared to do nine hours because I hadn't really that's not my forte. And I did exactly what you just said is I broke it up. I let them sort of run most of, you know, the, the we did them in three hour chunks and I had about an hour to present on each chunk. But then the other thing was broken up with exercises and we ran out of time every day and the people wanted more. So yeah. people get really engaged. So as you go into this training arm and into this consulting arm, what are the transformations that happen to your business? I mean, as keynoters, we're used to, you know, we book a flight, we fly, we give a keynote, you know, we check out of the hotel and we fly home. There's not a lot of little ancillary pieces. Consulting and training have a lot more moving parts. So what are some of the transformations that took place in your company itself? The number one transformation, and this was probably the, the most important one and the one I probably failed at uh, miserably early on, is how my contracts are structured. So when you're a speaker, you, know, you try to have a simple agreement. I'm going to show up. I'm going to do this. You give me this deposit. You give me my fee. You know, wham, bam, thinking, ma'am, we're all done. But when you're doing longer form training, it really requires you to have a contract that is really robust because it's going to this is going to be over time. It's not going to be a one day event. It might be over six months. It might be over 12 months. And so the big transformation for me was hiring an attorney to go through my existing contracts, the ones that I kind of made shift into training contracts that actually get a more robust scope of work and a boilerplate agreement. So that was trans transformation number one. Second transformation number two is staying in contact with your client and getting lots of feedback around how people are applying what you're doing. So I'll give you an example. I did a two-day training with a healthcare system in Arizona that I finished a month ago, about 50 people. I gave them homework at the end of the training. I says, here's what I want you to do between now and our next session. And so they all started doing the homework and I had to create a worksheet, a workbook document for them to actually do the homework. Well, they started doing it and some people were having some challenges. And so my client point of contact reached out and says, Anton, some people are having challenges. What should we do? And I said, okay, let's jump on a quick Zoom with anybody who's having challenges so we can brainstorm and I can hear the dialogue of what they're going through and what they're doing. So what did that do for my business, Tom? It gave me another way to get enriching conversation with people to show them that I really was a partner with them in the work, that I wasn't just, you know, someone who was doing a transactional relationship, but this is reciprocal in a, a longstanding relationship. So I, I captured the conversation. I got new feedback to improve my form and in the homework assignment that I give to the next client. So I have this iterative process that now improves my business and improve everything that I'm doing. But then another thing it does, third thing, transformation with me, is my clients are giving me ideas of other stuff that they want from me that I currently don't have. And these are things that they want to buy from me. It's not like I got to create a product and hope that they're willing to buy it. But they're saying, hey, you know, this assessment was great. 
but we love to do this assessment with this particular group. Could you change these five questions and do it for this group? So now I got a secondary assessment that's for a different group of people or, Hey, you know, this training was good, but we really would like to have more content on this aspect of what you talked about. So I built out a whole suite around diversity, equity, and inclusion, which I also have a background in because if you want to build a world-class workplace culture, it's got to be valuable to diverse to diverse people and diverse teams. And so my clients have given me iterative feedback that is helping me to create more content, more products, more frameworks, and more things that I can give to them that will add value to them that, again, makes them more loyal to me. And again, it's not a one-time relationship, but it's something that we're going to have a relationship over and over again. So you now have more repeat customers than you would have had as, as a keynoter. And then what about your staff? Do you have anybody, do you have, were you a solo person before and now you have some people who work for you? What is, what is the structure of your company look like? Yeah. So, so I started off as a solopreneur and I added an executive assistant. Uh, that executive assistant is growing into a business manager, not just in EA, but a business manager. Uh, I have a curriculum designer who is taking new content and keynotes that I come up with and turning it into courses that I can teach either training or that I can turn into e-courses and put online that I can build out real workbooks. That when you buy my book, that you can buy a complimentary workbook to go with it. I also have, of course, a, a web person that everybody has a web person who I literally just finished talking to because we talked about building out a whole new aspect of a store uh, for my business because there's merchandise now that my clients want because I have, you know, catchphrases and trademark phrases that I use in my keynotes that when they complete the training, they want to walk around with the T-shirt on now. It's like going to Disney World and you got to come back with the T-shirt, right? So uh, I'm adding uh, people to my team. I have an event planner that I'm working with now because as soon as we get fully all the way out of the pandemic, I'm actually going to plan a live event. So I hired a, a person who really does special events for uh, masterminds and other groups to help build the experience when people come in person, so they get the same kind of experience that uh, that I give virtually and that I give in my keynote. So my team is growing uh, very, very rapidly. And soon, uh, I hope to be uh, hiring some outbound sales to really focus on the particular customer that I want. And I don't want to just be you know, everywhere to everybody, but I really like to niche in healthcare. I'm passionate about making sure our nation's healthcare workers who are catching a lot of double hockey sticks right now from the challenges that they're dealing with. I want to make sure that they work in a world-class workplace culture where they feel valued, respected, appreciated, and the leaders are leaders that they will admire. And so I want to focus on healthcare exclusively. And that's kind of what I've been doing, but I really want to dive deeper. Well, Anton, the knowledge bombs that you have dropped throughout the last 25 minutes have been huge. There's so many things that people have, you know, can walk away with and put into action. Any last words for someone who wants to expand the direction that you've gone? Uh, the last word I'm going to say to most people is that I know everybody's probably afraid of something. And some of us were afraid about our businesses going away in the pandemic. We know people who've retired. You might be afraid of being a consultant. You might be afraid of doing training. But here's what I want to tell you. You need to do it afraid. You need to do it afraid because we're all afraid and this all is a learning curve for, for all of us. But the main point is 
if you don't do it, you're never going to get better at it. And so my advice to everybody is just do it afraid. Take some risks uh, as you finish the year and start the new year. Always find something to take a risk on. And it's a calculated risk. It shouldn't be a chance, but a calculated risk. Awesome. Well, Anton Gunn, I really appreciate everything that you've shared here on Speakernomics today. One more thing I want to touch on, and that is the National Speakers Association Winter Conference coming up uh, in early part, I think it's February maybe, of 2022. You're on the committee. Why should people be signing up to go to the NSA Winter Conference in Orlando? So if you want more of anything that I've talked about here, you got to be at Winter Conference. I mean, Winter Conference is about thriving in this current environment as a entrepreneur, as a speaker, whatever you're doing, it's about thriving. Rory Vaden will be there. He'll be a phenomenal part of the program. So you hear a lot more of what I shared about, what I learned from him. But we got an incredible lineup, a great lineup that's going to give you some back-end tools on how you can build a recession-proof business, a pandemic-proof business, those takeaway things that you need So you don't have to have the same kind of anxiety that we all had at the beginning of 2020. So come to Winter Conference. It's going to be great. I'd love to meet you all there. Be there or be square. But don't blame anybody for you not being great at business because Winter Conference is going to be great because all of the great people who want to hear from the greatest people are going to be there. And that's how I'm going to leave. Well, and I'm looking forward to seeing you again in person because I will be there. So everybody sign up now for the National Speakers Association Winter Conference. You can find more information at nsaspeaker.org. So Anton, again, thank you so much for being here. We'll see you in Orlando at the Winter Conference in just a short amount of time. A couple months, we'll all be there. And for everybody who tuned in and listened to this episode of Speakernomics, I know that you've probably been taking notes. You had to pull your car over, put some notes in your phone or on a piece of paper. That's what we try to do every single week. So make a plan that you're going to join us here every week for more thoughts, ideas, and actionable information on how to make more money as a professional speaker. And always remember the motto of this podcast, speak, get paid, repeat. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.